your skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. I'm gonna worry about it now. Uh, this is lots of pasta talking about scent of a woman. <laughs> I, hope you're, I hope you're tuned in because this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a fun one. Uh, I Al Pacino he has been talking to Marvel for like years now about playing someone and still hasn't. I expected like Mephisto or like Dormammu or something, something crazy, and he still hasn't appeared. I don't, I don't know if he'll ever appear. I don't think, I don't think he's gonna be that. Same with like De Niro. Like I don't think any of those guys. They're not really the, those. They're too, they're too character forefront. Like they want to be the main folks. Everything. I don't think. You, you don't think can, they would pull a Douglas? No, I don't think Pacino would get down. Like that's what that's what makes Kirk Douglas great. I think Kirk Douglas is he's always been great as that. He can be the guy. Like. No, no, no. Kirk is his daddy. Oh, yes. No, no. Definitely Mike Douglas. No, definitely Mike Douglas. <laughs> That's his daddy. Ace know, definitely whole, I mean, he's, he's fucking yeah, watching. I think I just watched like 20,000 Lakes Under the Sea. Like, fucking awesome. <laughs> two days ago. So, I mean, I completely. That's why. Kirk Douglas, like, just harpooning submarines and shit kind of thing. But, like, <laughs> Fincher is supposed to be remaking that movie for, again, like, eight fucking years now. It still hasn't happened. <laughs> no, that one's definitely not happening. Yeah, but, like. I um, would love a remake of that, though. 20,000 Lakes is so cool. Like like Mike Douglas, and what I am trying to say is Kurt Russell. Mm. Kurt Russell is one of my favorite Kurt, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell, Sylvester Stallone, yeah. uh, Mike Douglas, and now we're getting Lawrence Fishburne, and he's playing Goliath. Yeah. And Ant Man and the Wasp, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. Coming in to play Janet. Um, I think it's fucking awesome, and. Apparently, Pacino isn't against it, so I don't, I don't think he's against it. I just think he's just waiting for the right role. Like, yeah, I don't know what we're gonna throw him in as. I guess you could throw him in as a. I was just thinking like a voice of something. I mean, between like Devil's Advocate and stuff like that. I, I mean, this would be the perfect character. For Absolutely, him. but well, you know, it would take some. It, We'll see what we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't know if he could ever step down and be that side character. Though. I think he'd want to be in the forefront and just kind of yell random stuff. Just couldn't help himself. Like, I like how your Pacino impersonation is like borderline Native American. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a horrible not, impression. But not yeah, as a, not as angry Italian as I probably imagined, but it's still pretty close, regardless. Uh, we also we haven't talked about Game of Thrones on the podcast at all, but there are some horrifying elements to that show. Those deaths are brutal. Those wars are pretty brutal. I think Hard Home in itself as an episode is one of the best episodes of anything I've ever seen. It is. I mean, With zombies and shit. Like come on. Like it white is, it white is walkers. I'm sorry. White walkers. It has gotten to be uh, fantastic. When they when they when they stepped aside from what George was doing, when yeah. they got into their own element, they started doing their own kind of thing, really, it has turned into something completely different. I think the last two seasons have probably been the best seasons so far. 
Um, last season was alright, but this season has been just absolutely fantastic. I'd say since five. Yeah. Since five, it hasn't stopped yeah. being, and that's five is when it started deviating majorly yeah. oh, from absolutely. the from the books. We we used to talk for hours about how we thought the entire thing was going to end, and that changes daily. It seems and like that it changes, changes every, every episode. episode. It watch. really does. It really seems to change every episode now. Because I I would like to think I know who's going to die yeah. by the end of season eight. I would like to think I know who's going to still be alive. Yeah. And it's hard to think about a future in which those characters are what like sitting around a fire talking about what happened like. Yeah. 30 years ago yeah. and it's just really it's really tough to see how they plan on even finishing the story just because like there's so much left they have to do <laughs> but at the same time there's you only know, like you know they have to wrap it up you know there's a limited that's, that's at the, the same time there's only yeah. like 8 episodes yeah, left the worst. spread out over the next year wait as soon as, soon as the show tells you like this is how many episodes are left you're just it, it, it ruins it a bit for me because then you know like absolutely because yeah, then you just feel like everything's rushed it, it, now now it needs to take a step yeah, every episode exactly. there's no room for just filler enjoyment bullshit like now it's advanced plot making 101 like how to get everyone somewhere by the next episode how to make sure the show is heading to the end point the thing about it in with Game of Thrones is that there's just so many fan theories Game of Thrones is that literally after every single episode Somebody comes up with something that you see, and you're like, wow, maybe that's true. Maybe that's how the show... Like, the last thing I read... I actually read something today where they said that the vision that uh, Danny has in the temple... Yep. That literally, like, she's predicting what's going to happen in the future of the show, that she's literally predicting her own death in the show. That that's when she's going to join, you know, her son, and Drago, and, and it's just... It's crazy. Every episode, something changes. You're like, oh, yeah, that, that could be true. That could be true. And then the next episode, something just absolutely off the wall happens. And, yep. And you're like, you have no idea what's happening. We don't know what's happening with Jamie or anything like that. No spoilers or anything like that. But, like, we don't know what's happening. Oh, no, we spoiled. This, oh. Is, this, is abs- <laughs> this is coming out. This episode isn't going to air for, like, two months. Oh, well, they were It's going to be over. Right. Right. There yeah, are going to be right. no spoilers. Well, this is episode... This is going to be episode 53, 54... That's <laughs> a little bit down the line. It's absolutely down the <laughs> yeah. line. So we have, 40 yeah. is coming out So we have week. no idea what's going to happen. We have 14 but. weeks before this episode hits the... I got a backlog. This is... <laughs> this is... um. You're the third guest in a row I've had on someone who's just doing their first episode. I like it. The last two episodes have been great with mm-hmm. just completely random people. That's good. That, That's I either, good. that I either knew from when I was 12 or I knew from when I was in high school. And they literally were just like, we listened to it. We, we, I, I want in. And I'm just like... Come over to my house. Yeah, uh, we gotta introduce you. Uh, you're... <laughs> you got me into, like, the best torrenting site ever. And then I saw your username for, like, the first time, and I was like, Scutch McGee. That's a good name. <laughs> it's an old man name. I am an old... I, I am it makes old, you sound like a sailor. I'm labeled an old soul, yeah. I guess a sailor would be an old soul, too. Yeah, like sailing open seas and stuff like that. I mean, you call yourself old man Scotch, but I don't. I don't think you're an old man. You could pass for my age. <laughs> you could absolutely pass. It depends. For my age. It depends. I've had. Uh, I've had days. I've had days where I feel seventy. Where you feel like you're an old man. <laughs> yeah, That's days different. Where I feel 70. That's different. I woke so, up yeah. this morning feeling like I'm seventy well, because I, feel like I that every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Life. Well, um, so Scotch McGee is here. Lots of pasta with me. Uh, 
he has been listening for a little bit and I've been coming down to the Wilkes area for the past like four years now. That's when we met and uh, that's where we're recording. Uh, you live literally a block away from where I lived when I was here. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. I did not know that. Over on Shoemaker. I did not know that. I lived on Shoemaker for like a year. I wish I would have known that. And then you, no and then you moved. <laughs> like yeah, I've lived everywhere around this area. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. I mean, uh, Wilkes, Pittston, Nanticoke, Kingston, yeah. Fort 44. So like four areas within the two years I was here. <laughs> I lived everywhere around this area. This area is nice though. I had no idea. Oh no, this area is great. I know. It's in the middle of everything. It is. It's quiet. Two minutes from the Cross Valley, it's, you it can get anywhere. Quiet. Mm-hmm. I am. I've become the old guy who sits outside on my chairs and just yells sips, at cars. Sips a beer and yells at kids. Yells at cars for driving too fast and things yeah. like that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's where the scotch comes out. It is. That's where the old man McGee comes out. It does. That is that is my lifestyle. I'm that guy. So. <laughs> no, so here's so here's immediately what I think. You're sitting out on the front, and like two like twenty something year old couple, like like a couple comes walking by, and they're like, oh, but but Daenerys is totally gonna hook up with John by the end of season seven, and you're just like old man with a cane, and you're just like, in my day I read the book, and no one even thought Danny was gonna meet John, and you're just like yelling at everyone. <laughs> I have asked. No one else is gonna ride dragons I am, I am that horrible guy that just like I would literally just go somewhere and I would hear people talking to, about Game of Thrones you or, just or, immediately or, step into the conversation I, I try not to <laughs> I try not to be that guy You're but in my in my head that is exactly who I am I am the guy who in my head I'm like you're an idiot you don't know what you're talking you're about you're a fucking idiot and you don't know anything you don't know what you're talking about you I, books I admittedly <laughs> I admittedly tried reading the books and did not have the attention span. I, I will to tell you deal what. Yeah, I, uh, I read the books. I tried reading the books. I listened to the books on audio, and that's uh, that's what worked for me. Read by old man Roy, who was fantastic at the, the first three books he did before he got Died. cancer. Yep, and then uh, yep. the second guy took over. I can't think of his name right off the bat, but he was just he just wasn't as good. The voices changed and things like that, and it was just hard staying with it. But. Uh, Thinking about George R. He, he reminds me a lot of how, uh, like Hemingway used to write, where Hemingway used to spend ten pages just describing what the open ocean looked like, and you're like, all right, well, and, and George it's R. It's poetic and it's beautiful, it but at the same time, it's just like, shit, I just read ten pages about a fucking ocean. Well, well Hemingway. Thinking about Hemingway, is Hemingway would do a book, and Hemingway's supposed to be like maybe two, three hundred pages, but George R. R. Martin's book would be twelve hundred pages. So if you're getting 10 pages of Hemingway describing ocean, you were getting 35 pages of John Martin describing an open field of grain and stuff like a that. Banner, so, exactly. A house banner. And literally there's just houses a and meal. stuff like that. They, Those he's were really, the things that yeah, killed me. Exactly. Like he describes that, he'll describe a banner and it's a house that you'll never ever hear again and he'll describe it for 10 pages. <laughs> so when, you, when, you're, when you're listening to it audio-wise, you can kind of zone it out and then be like, oh, well, this is important. And you listen to that part and you kind of zone it out again for another half an hour. But when you're reading it, you have no choice but to just kind of delve in and, and be sitting there and just kind of get beat up by his... That's his what I mean. Like, my dad, like, my dad gave me the books, and he was like, I just picked these up, I'm just going to get into them, and he's a huge reader, and he's just like, I'm just going to start, um, but I'm already on the second book, so here. And I had tried listening to it on audiobook, but I was much more interested in listening to the rest of Stephen King's stuff. 
to get to Dark Tower on time. And um, I never I never got around to reading ooh, all of Game of Thrones. Yeah. I only got through, uh, I think I made it up to Feast. I'll tell you what, I mean, I didn't finish like, Feast. I don't think I did. There was, there was parts of the books that, uh, there was parts of the books that are missed out throughout the series, but it doesn't mean that the series is actually pretty well done as far as the books are. It's suspenseful. You don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, there's stuff in the book, like with any adaption ever, there's stuff in the books that it gets skipped over. Yeah, and I think I think the greatest thing right now is that when, when and if he does finish the books, because you have to say it like that, when and if, I am going to finish reading them, because now I want to know how his real, like, languid view on how sure. he actually wanted to pace out the ending. Because yep. I don't I don't imagine it's going to be one chapter, shit happens, next chapter, shit happens, third chapter, shit happens, war, end of the series, all in one book. Yeah. I just don't see that happening. Well, I mean, like, big spoiler, like, Kat is still alive in the books. Yeah. And she's been dead. Yes. She's been dead Stoneheart. in the Stoneheart. Yeah, yeah, she's been dead in the series now for... And you, so you're, what, you're on three? brother. They kind of... Con- they kind of combined characters all over the place yeah. um they have nothing to do with the dragon horn right now yeah. I, I don't even think that's happening yeah i yeah, yeah. i mean so there's, um, so there's some stuff in the series where we're like we know that martin has to continue the series as far as how he's writing it we know he also has to continue the series as far as what hbo is doing yeah with the series so it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what direction he takes with it because now he has free reign yeah i mean he really does he, i mean now he did Sure. He did. He always did. But I feel like what he gave HBO for seven and eight was literally just broad strokes. I think so. I think it. I don't really. I don't think it has anything to do with Martin. I think we're looking at the end of like a really not a bad adaptation, but what we're kind of looking at is something that's going to be much different from what he writes. I honestly don't think he'll ever finish writing the series. And that's yeah. That's totally another line of discussion. Is just yeah. like you have to say when and if because I don't even know if he's gonna fucking be alive I don't, to, I, to finish it. I mean, he's still real. He look, thing about Jamarn is that he looks he looks old. Like when you look at him, you're like he's old. But he's like, really only like fifty. Yeah, he's, 50 I think, I think he's like late fifties, early sixties, yeah. something like that. So he's not too horribly. And we know that guys are written into their eighties, but we also know that writers live short, pretty much relatively short, life. short lifespans. Yeah. And, uh, if it so, takes him seven years to write a book. Yeah, if it takes him seven years to write a book, I mean, we're already maybe... At least, I think we're already a book ahead, essentially. I don't think what we've seen in the last three seasons or two seasons of Game of Thrones is actually going to be in one book at this I point. I agree. So, if we're already talking about a book ahead of time, so we're talking about him being close to 70 years old and stuff like that before even the next book comes out. Before even this book comes out. Yeah. So, it's like... Uh, no, he's he's at least two or three books away from from finishing. But I absolutely see someone taking over the mantle form and kind of writing it and finishing it off in some kind of way. I mean, you have had the discussion before where yeah, you and I were we've talked about how I think the book will actually end or if it'll just keep going or how he's described writing it in the first place. How he just he serves it an open history and that he's not actually telling a story. He's actually writing. Yeah, like he's a literally just writing a history. Yeah, like he's writing a history book. And I do, I like the idea of that. I just, I always see like a, um, uh, if that were the case, then why would HBO put a cap on their plot? Don't you think HBO would want the money machine to roll? 
yes, keep, but, it, keep it going. But, but I, but we know that HBO will also will kill us a series off and not have any kind of uh, like Sopranos. We know that Sopranos yeah. ran for eight years and it just stopped. Literally, just they just stopped it. Like just it took really it to the eighteen had no ending. It really well, we don't know what happened, and uh, I if we know that they were not afraid to do that with probably their most successful and one of the most successful yeah, shows ever. Sopranos. I, I absolutely believe that they would do that same thing with Game of Thrones. That they would just just kill it. And are you implying that that's what you think is happening? We, we yeah. I I uh, I had thought of this before. Or my my whole theory to the end of Game of Thrones is that we will never know what actually happens to we will never have a actually character sitting on the throne with a definitive answer and that the show will actually just kind of end and it'll just kind of move on as a, like a written history that HBO will kill the show before we actually know what is happening and and that's will just infuriate everybody because there'll be no definitive answer but I mean we, we have there are so many options between John Daenerys and Cersei and Anybody, anybody could end up sitting on the throne. But I actually don't think anybody was sitting on the throne. I think that will just kind of end, and it'll be. I think the people who care about sitting on the throne are going to be are going to end up dead. That's I that's how I lean. Is that the people I see surviving want nothing to do with the fucking throne? I think that uh, the Weight Walker is going to wreck more havoc than anybody actually thinks are going to happen. I oh, think, absolutely. I think. I think they're, they're, yeah, I think that's what everybody's kind of missing is that I think that the uh, the White walkers, walkers are, are kind of they're kind of in the, the background. They're kind of in the background still right now, and then we've been kind of watching them in the back episodes and stuff like that. And right now, uh, they come up, they kind of like appear every like two or three episodes and stuff like that, where you hear about what their progress is and things like that. So I think the big focus is HBO is kind of keeping them in the background right now. And I think that's just so we can just throw them up front in everybody's face as soon as we're ready to go. When we really start wrapping this thing up. Well, uh, with all the leaks and, you know, because this is going to come out so much later than the actual episodes, like, they're going to have come out already and we're going to have watched them and talked about them already. So this is kind of my way of doing, like, a mental check to see how accurate these leaks were. <laughs> but, like... Yeah. The leaks were supposedly, like, to prove that White Walkers exist, they go and try yeah. to capture one, and there's, yeah. like, a squad, like, a suicide squad of fucking badasses with, like, Sander Clegane, Thoros, Beric Dondarrion, yeah. um, fucking, <laughs> what's, what's his name? He sat on a boat for, like, eight seasons and comes back. Oh, like, oh my god, I know you yeah, Robert's yep. bastard. <laughs> John, really and then even, even Cold oh, Hands yeah, is yeah. supposed to show yeah. up and save John for a minute. Um, but they're supposed they're supposed to kill Viserion. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. When Daenerys comes to save them, or when they're trying to fight them off, Viserion's supposed to go down. And you're supposed to not only see like um, an undead polar bear, like an undead undead bear yeah. white. But, like, you're supposed to see the Night's King, mm -hmm. who I didn't even realize who was playing him, but it's fucking uh, 
It's fucking Portman from Doom and 31. Yeah. And 31. He plays the asshole in 31. I didn't even realize that was him. Great actor. Uh, ugly, ugly man, which is just great. You have <laughs> Such to, a hideous you looking have to guy. Just cover somebody in makeup. Like, we must have the least amount of makeup we could throw on a guy. He might as well already look, look terrifying. <laughs> Let's have him play the Night King. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's supposed to do the whole raise the dead thing, mm-hmm. and Viserion is supposed to come back. As a undead ice dragon breathing blue fire, and that's how the wall's gonna fall yeah. to end to end season seven. Apparently, the wall is gonna just get fucking wrecked, and part of me is sitting here like, no, Eddie, yeah. no, Eddie, don't. So no. we, we already have the giant. Like we have giants now walking around. We saw that in the last yeah, episode. Yeah, isn't it? One one kicked the one, bucket one, last yeah, season. One one, didn't and one one is now walking around as a. Uh, Walking around as a white now, and so and then we have a dragon. I, mean, I don't at this point, like, so we're just seeing all this stuff like stack up against who's gonna fight these people? Like, absolutely, <laughs> I mean, you know, every time they say they're going to war, I always see more people than I initially imagined, and I'm like, maybe they do have the numbers to fight the white walkers, and then I start thinking, and I'm just like, no, they really, they really don't. I mean, none, I mean. Like, Jordan is not even close to being, like, what Balerion is. Like, the the old Balerion dragon as far as uh, what the Mad King used to ride around on. Yeah. Things like that. So he's not even close to that size. I mean, he said, like, Balerion was basically almost, like, four sizes. Like they, four showed, times they showed the size his of, skull exactly. in this season. Almost like four was... times the size of what, like, uh, Drogon is. And then, so, what do, what really do they have to fight? I, I really, I really think like if they want, if they put glass in every yeah. man's hand, then I guess I they think, have. I think they the have automatic is, KO weapons. Yeah. Whereas they got the Valerian steer, they got the the dragon glass, they have dragon fire. Um, whereas the best whites can do in this situation is just try to go for the kill immediately, yeah. but maybe just maim. And the more people you keep alive when fighting the White Walkers is really what matters is that you don't lose numbers because the minute Night's King just decides to go like that Mm -hmm. you know they're all going to come back so I think it's going to go down a little bit more like people keep everyone distracted while we go straight for the Night's King okay because if he's the one pulling all this shit then he's the one we have to take out and I think John knows that I would like to think John knows that no no um, I think I might be wrong on this, but even with the show, like, uh, don't the same characters that die from the glass, don't they eventually come back? Not in the show. Not in the show, they don't? Are you Not sure? in the show. Absolutely. He takes, um... Because doesn't Sammy kill the bald-headed white in the forest? With, uh, dagger. With, with the dragon glass. But doesn't he, doesn't he appear, that same character appear in a later episode? I just think a lot of whites look the same. Did I think really? you're being white racist okay. right now. <laughs> I think, I think you think all the whites look the same. And what I, I think is the company <laughs> reused the makeup and the same They really do. You know what I'm thinking of now. It's like, the one with the beard and the, the, long, the, girl and the bald head. Yeah. And John also yeah. kills him with a Valerian exactly. steel sword. So I've seen this guy like in, twice in hard now. Home. He's died twice now. He's the guy who's on the guy. horse. He's exactly. the first white you see, really. Most of the time. Yeah. In season two, when season two ends, exactly. he's the first one riding the horse yeah. who looks down at Sam and he's just like, fuck. And he just walks on by. It's yeah, it's the same one. Uh, that's 
I think that's me. <laughs> I think that's us just saying like they're reusing the makeup and they they're reusing be. the yeah. actor. That's who popped up. He's gonna pop up again. Before the show's over, he's gonna kill Thora, so he's gonna kill someone. Um, dude, that dude gets his work in. Before we deviate topic, I do need to ask, like, most important question right now is, do you believe in Clegane Bowl? What's that? Say it again? Clegane Bowl. It's boom. You believe I do. in Clegane I do. Bowl? I do. It's gonna happen. I, I, I think it's gonna happen. I but think is it that, happening uh, season seven or is it happening season eight? It's gonna happen season eight. <laughs> it's gonna. It's not gonna happen this season. I can't imagine it's gonna happen this season. It depends. Sander is supposed to be at the pit when Cersei's there with the mountain. I just I don't think they're gonna break out into the middle of a fight in front of everyone. I, th- I think that I, it's, Sander been, it's is been weird. To survive. It's been weird to watch the Hound become a good guy. Absolutely, it has, and it's been weird. But he, Ian McShane has that effect on him. Yeah, because <laughs> he, he was so horrible. We hated him. We hated him when he killed the butcher's kid. We hate like you know. True. Yeah, we hated him for that. And then uh, slowly kind of Arya got to him, him. Slowly Sansa got watching to him, him die, come back. Come month late, especially the, the, the last episode where he knows when he walks into the house, and we know he knows exactly what he's walking into. Especially when he knows that the daughter's going to be in there, and he, and just the way he looks at the little girl, the, the little girl, the dead little girl, on her father, and things like that. Especially after we've gone through with Arya and things like that, and watching him become a good guy, it's hard not to root for him at this point. Absolutely, it, it's become weird. It's 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 weird watching a guy become a bad guy that we hated. Following all of Joffrey's orders and things like that, and Robert's orders to becoming what he is now, which is probably fighting for the good side. So you become. believe in Clegane Bowl? You okay. believe that Clegane Bowl is going to happen? For the uninitiated with Game of Thrones, Clegane Bowl is supposed to be the mountain fighting the Hound all over again before the series is over. Because um, the Hound, his whole face is burnt to fuck due to his brother... And playing with his toy, the way that starts is yeah. that the, the hound played with his toy, and the mountain didn't like that, so he literally took his face and, and burned put it, it in into the, the fireplace. And put it in a fireplace. <laughs> yes. What a nice thing, but that is literally how they describe the mountain. Don't play with my choo choo. Yeah, exactly, he's he is an absolute monster. You get burned, uh, and then the mountain he died. Viper killed him. Oberyn killed him. Uh, but now he's a zombie for lack of better terms. He's a Frankenstein. He is. He's a Frankenstein in the um, Game of Thrones universe, which I think is pretty nuts. Um, He probably doesn't feel pain. He's kind of just a tank now. It's hard to see the Hound coming out on top. You know that the the guy who plays the Mountain, his name is literally Thor. Yeah. He and he is literally the I've world's, seen his he is literally the world's strongest man. He is huge. He is a huge dude. He is literally almost five hundred pounds. His yeah. commercials are hilarious. And he's over four hundred pounds. He's something like six Absolutely. foot eight, over four hundred pounds. He is. He might be the scariest human being on the planet. And but he's such a nice guy. And he really you is. You watch his like, commercials oh, yeah. and you're like, he's funny. <laughs> yeah. like, kind he's of reminds, nice he reminds me of Batista yeah. a little bit. I get Batista yeah. vibes yeah. looking at him. Yeah. Little Drax. Little, little stuff going on there. Little big dude. But he is he is literally, he is a monstrous human being. Absolutely. And and the guy who plays Sandra Clegane is really just like a normie dude. Like, he's been in several uh, Edgar Wright movies. Yeah. And like... 
you have an idea of scale. If Simon Pegg can fight this guy, then, like, yeah. you know, the mountain's probably going to destroy this guy. Yeah. I want to see a redemption arc, because they're already... They have this thing going with the Hound on this whole redemption arc thing, and I don't... I don't think it's going to work out too well. Yeah. I really don't. I think Frankenstein is just going to have his fucking way with just him. Just tear him apart? Absolutely. And it's going to be heartbreaking. Oh, that would be absolutely in Game of Thrones fashion. Absolutely. Which is, so, so here's, here's how I think about Game of Thrones. Here's how I think about Game of Thrones. I want something to happen. I want Sander to fight his older brother and beat the shit out of him and win and have this redemption arc, you know, justified. What I know is going to happen, the opposite of that. The opposite of what I just said. It seems like that. It really I want, seem like I that want the Viper to get revenge on the mountain for killing his uh, family and raping them. And I want Viper, I want Oberyn to kill this man in a painful fashion. Oh, well, his head just got smushed like a fucking grape. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that just happened. It is, it is, uh, Game of Thrones is, is physically jarring more than any other show that I've ever witnessed. Besides some, like, you know, besides some, uh, like, reality crime shows and things like that, where you're just like, this is just hard shit. <laughs> it yeah. keeps happening. Yeah. Like, but that, you know that stuff happening in real life? Like, that's how just physically jarring, like, Game of Thrones is. is that you literally compare it to stuff that you you know actually happened in real life that you consider, like, your worst nightmare kind of stuff. And that is literally going full circle to how we started this. How the deaths happen in Game of Thrones where they are just so physically jarring that you watch it and you're like this is just unreal and you think about it for two or three days or four or five days or four or five months <laughs> I'll say four or five months like I'm still feeling anytime Sean Sean Bean is in anything you know he's gonna die like that's the joke with Sean Bean but he was such a good Ned and I and I still feel the fucking aftershock of him just being beheaded at the end of that first season. He is so good in these roles. He is so good in the fantasy role. I mean, absolutely. Really Boromir, Boromir oh, was one of my favorites. He is so good at this particular role. I mean, we know that he's done... You know, Traveling he... We, yeah, James Bond. Oh, yeah. We, we know what he's... You know, superstar in GoldenEye and things like that. And some yeah. of the, like, Rowan... He, he plays the same character in almost there, but he is so good in, in these fantasy movies and these, these kind of sci-fi fantasy... Mm-hmm. area that this is his role and he was so good at an start I, I could not imagine a single character that would show more depth than Sean B. Winters what a beautiful man but the minute he was involved you knew that he was going to get <laughs> fucking <was> killed <laughs> you knew he was going to get fucking killed he, he doesn't survive dead. in anything exactly um, yeah I you know I still feel that even watching the show now and they bring it back every once in a while and when you reunite you reunite the Stark kids and you immediately just start to feel for them, and you're just like, shit, their parents are dead. Well, sure. And then there's this whole fucking group of people that's just going, Cat is Stoneheart, but behind the scenes, like, we haven't seen her yet. She's I'm, not coming back. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, guys, the she's fuck not coming Stoneheart back. Stoneheart isn't she, happening. She, she is not coming back. We got like, eight episodes of this show left. No, we got was, nine episodes. She, she is not coming back. She was. She, the fourth one just aired, right? So we got... Five, six, seven, and then we got six. 
So it's like, we got nine episodes of this fucking show left. Stoneheart is not going to be in. In case, in case you haven't read the books, big time spoiler. Yeah, for book readers, yeah. at least. Cat, Cat, Cat is brought back by the Lord of Light. And she is... Beric Dondarrion exactly. gives, gives his regeneration exactly. power up yeah. to... They find her floating down a fucking river. river. Yeah. She's half bald. Her hair's falling out. She's been dead for a while. She's not... Um, it's yeah, not like... It's implied that she's been dead for like three weeks. Yeah. So she's floating down a fucking river. Yeah. So she's pretty horrible looking and... But Beric knows what was done to her and knows the, venge- the vengeance in her spirit. And he doesn't really he never really wanted to live the life he lives he hates coming back every time and he knows someone who is much more suited for this afterlife of vengeance and he gives his life he gives he passes the spirit and she comes back and she she comes back pissed (laughs) she comes comes back back like angry like uh like a 70s revenge flick I spit on your grave, yeah. fucking last house on the left, in murder the first, rampage. The first person that she runs into in that show is that she runs into Brienne. Yeah. She fucking hangs, doesn't she? She does. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> she's not alive in the books. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bri- Brienne. Big time spoiler there. But yeah. I mean, like that she's... ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah, it did. That, so that we don't, we don't absolutely know that happened. That ended but... on a cliffhanger, but I'm I'm almost entirely sure yes. they're gonna they're gonna confirm that in the next. And plot book. too. And Pod yeah. goes too. So, yeah, that's what happens. Lots of different stuff that goes on in the book. Big time spoiler there, but yeah. As you can tell, it's a little bit different what happens in the book. Stoneheart is straight out of a fucking horror movie. Legit. She like, really is. So, we were kind of hoping that what we kind of figured in the series, as far as the HBO series, what happened was that she was going to come back as the white, like the, you know, the Night King would bring her back and, uh, Oh shit! That she would come back as the queen as he's passing through. That he would actually take her up as her queen. I hadn't heard that rumor. That that's not a rumor. Nuts. That's just my speculation. You that want is, that to? That happen. is my speculation. That you she want them. Dead. You want them to come into Westeros and have con, you know converted all these dead people, and you want to see Catelyn as among one I of want the her to be the Night Queen. Fucking that's what I want her to be. I want her to be the night queen. That's what I want. I want her to come back. I want her to come back. You want them to have to kill their own family. I want. I want the Starks have to battle the mother. That's what I want to happen. You're a heartless bastard. (laughs) I think that would just throw this shit. This is Game of Thrones, so we're just throwing. You know, we were doing doing shit over the top. I think that. uh, Oh wow! If Sansa and Arya have to battle the mother, I think that'll set it off. I think that's that's a great way to fire off season eight. I can't even deny this. This is that. This is that's really great. <laughs> and at one point, I did actually imagine that Ned himself, if he hadn't, if they had never gotten the body back, which I'm not sure if they ever actually did. Well, Littlefinger says that he has the body and he brought the bones back. That's what I said. So he says he brought the bone back. That that's what's actually buried at. Winterfell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had actually uh, in the sh- at least show wise not not really a pen- uh, paying any attention to detail. I had actually imagined that at one point um, they're gonna have to fight like all of their dead left. The levels. only the only Stark body that we know is from what we understand the show that is still fully intact is Cat's Cat body. Absolutely. Is Cat's body. Rob so. was beheaded. 
Yeah. Ned was beheaded. I mean, I get, uh, but who would really care about wanting to fight Rickon? Yeah, he's not coming back. Sorry, that guy's not coming back. Sorry, Rickon had had no purpose other than to be leveraged at some point down the line. And as far as his story goes, book wise, um, I mean, all of the Starks are wargers in the books. Rickon's Rickon's direwolf is more important than Rickon. Absolutely. (laughs) So that this kind of tells you where Rickon stands in the entire series that his direwolf is actually more important than Rickon actually. I love this. I love talking to you about nerdy shit. But we need to at least read a story. You can read a story? Before this show has to end. Because I'm not going to cut a lot of this. I love talking with you about bullshit and just hanging out. Um, I do... I think Something Strange is one of the best, like, suppliers of stories that we get. Um, it's a guy in the UK who just writes this shit, and it's it's usually pretty good. We've read a couple on a, a couple of the other episodes. Um, I think this is the last story of his that I have because I don't. I think he stopped writing, but um, it's it's pretty good. Do you want to do you want to take this one? Oh, well, I'll try this one. Let's see what happens here. This is this story is supplied by something strange. That's strange with two A's. Um, this one's called. I think the military still uses their old bases. Or something else does. Okay. And I think this is kind of fitting for you because weren't you a military? I was. I am a Air Force. I am an Air Force veteran. So I've been there and I've done a lot of that nasty stuff that we, that we know about. So. The killings and the liberties and the... I won't say the killings. No, we won't go that far, but I've, uh, I've made it so we can do stuff like this. So that's all I'll say. I will do... Thank you. Exactly. So... <laughs> Thank you for me reading bullshit stories here right now <laughs> and being able to live the life I have because of the freedom you supply. What an awesome me. life it is. Right? Yeah, that's what I think. What an awesome life it is. All right. <laughs> take, take it away. <laughs> All right. I think the military still uses their bail bases. I don't know what for, but they're hiding something. I hope I never find out what. For a while, I was just a police officer in a sleepy little village. The village itself wasn't creepy at all. I knew everyone, and they knew me. Life was simple, and as I was coming up to 30, I had a house, and whilst I was single, I enjoyed the company of a few colleagues and occasional visits from school friends. I was happy with my lot in life, and I work in Corsham, in the southwest of the UK. Yeah, he has to talk about Britain or else it's not real. Corsham really doesn't have much going for it. There's a new military base or a mile so well, and that's about it. Occasionally, we'd be assigned to patrol the roads outside the new military base. Not so much as to arrest people breaking in, but more to stop people parking around, or just to stop people fly-tipping. Not the most interesting job. But yesterday, I was assigned to the old base. I thought it was funny at the time, but the base has been in action for 30 or so years. A huge monolithic structure that was made out of drab concrete. It wasn't being used for anything, and it just stood there in the countryside empty. I was assigned to sit in a small booth outside the main gate and guard it all night. It didn't seem too hard, in fact. It seemed pretty easy. The shift was 10 to 5 until the next morning, and so in the day I had time to do a little research. A quick Google search shows that the base was shut down time sometime in the 80s. Further research shows that it was built as a type of nuclear bunker. It was designed to house a huge underground city. It was a labyrinth with a main control room and a hundred times smaller corridors running off to a concrete living environment. I was convinced that I was working there to prevent people breaking in. 
Free parties, if you don't know, are a phenomenon in the UK whereby younger teenagers take as much many drugs as possible, find an abandoned warehouse, and play music until the early hours. That doesn't just happen in the UK, that happens No, that happens everywhere. absolutely everywhere. That happens um, everywhere. I've, <laughs> I've done that. That literally happens down the street from this place right now. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Wilkesboro. There was a huge free party scene in the Southwest, and I assume that was preventing people from breaking in, taking as many narcotics as they could funnel up their nose. It seemed logical at the time. I was to prevent anyone from abusing government property, but there was something off about my job. It could be done by regular patrols, and the offer was to close with a confidential snap. I was only to discuss the job with members of the police force. I worked there for five days in a tiny booth just outside the large metal doors. It led down to a ramp into a main room, or I assumed so from the outside structure of the place. The doors were safety programmed, made so that they could be unlocked from both the inside and the outside to prevent builders, while constructing the complex, from getting in locked inside. The booth was just big enough for me, my laptop, and some books. It had glass windows that would be gradually fog up as I would watch the roads ahead. Every couple of hours or so, I would walk on patrol around the grounds. The first night was fine. I simply stayed awake, smoked, and watched downloaded movies off my laptop. Yeah, that literally smoked. sounds like my life. Smoked, yeah. <laughs> 420 blaze it, and then watching shit on your laptop. It literally sounds like my life. It yes. rained from the relaxing pit of Patterson to me into a trance. It didn't seem strange at the time, but now I think about it. The sound of the rain masked something else, though I couldn't tell what. The second night was when it started to get weird. Silence covered the base like a thick blanket, almost muffling any noise I would make. Except from the inside of the base came in a regular series of tapping noises. I assumed that they were simply rainwater dripping, but there was something organic about them. They would slowly grow in volume, and the only sound from miles was only this desperate tapping. The noise began to bug me, and so I began my patrol. The flashlight showed nothing but the fences. And when I put my hand to the concrete, it was dry. The moisture slowly went from my mouth. That meant no rainwater could be dripping. I finished my shift and drove home, checking my wing mirror the whole way. The third night, the tapping stopped until midnight. Then came a gentle scraping noise, the sound of nails against concrete. It wasn't just at the gate, but instead to move around inside the complex. I lit a cigarette and began my patrol again, determined to find the source. However, as I walked around the edge, following the wire fence, the noise followed me. The scraping wouldn't go any quieter, and when I stopped to stub out my cigarette, it stretched in the same place. It was as something was inside, and though the delusion trying to borrow through the concrete from me. The fourth night, I turned up early, when it was still light, and patrolled the grounds. Nothing was there except for the faint smell of rotting fish, a wet damp smell that lingered just above the ground. It began to get dark, and the scraping continued, this time more frenzied. I hadn't told anyone about it before, hoping that it was just an animal trapped or a machine deep inside still working. I called a friend of mine who was on patrol or nearby and asked him if they could swing by. I think the fear was evident in my voice as they turned up as fast as they could. When they appeared, the scratching ceased. They patrolled with me and assumed that I was going a bit nuts, pinned in by a small box for several hours in the dark. Laughing, they left me alone again. The scratching returned as soon as they left, but faster, much faster. And this time there was a determination to it, a desire to be heard. It was almost as if something was playing a sick game with me. I locked the door of the booth. I must have smoked about 40 cigarettes, clouding the small room with smoke. Whatever was inside there was taunting me, and for some reason, it was trying to target me. I didn't believe that night, and barely in the day. I was kept awake, sat in my apartment with an ear to the wall, terrified of the incessant scratching. I almost called in sick on the fifth night, but decided to return. Again, as it got to my got dark, the scratching came. 
If you have a desk nearby, start scratching as fast as possible. Imagine that noise, but echoing through a huge empty concrete bunker that you understand why the very noise made me shake. Nah, man. <laughs> that noise, the hard noise, felt like it was scratching me at the inside of my skull. The scratching stopped at 1 in the morning. It felt silent, and I had to push my face against the window to see whether the gates were open. They were tight shut, and from what I could see, I felt I could hear my own breath getting louder and louder. It almost echoed, in fact, I was convinced it did. And when I leant back to my chair, the windows were steamed up. I used the cup of my sleeve to rub the steam off, but it didn't work. Puzzle, I tried again, rapidly rubbing my sleeve to clear any moisture from the window, and again the steam stayed. My heart skipped a beat. The steam wasn't from inside the booth. Something had been looking at me, right at me. Something left its breath condensed against my booth. Terrified, I inhaled and realized I had been holding my breath. I had been holding my breath. That meant the deep, heavy breathing I heard echoing around the complex wasn't mine. Something was out there. It was 1.30 when I left, locking the main gate, packing my bags, and running for my car, heart pumping in my chest. Half-heartedly, I against myself, I had been hearing myself breathe, and that in the midst of the window was merely a coincidence. I had almost convinced myself that something wasn't right with the story in hand. In fact, something was very, very wrong. I arrived home safely, bursting into my house and turning on every light I could. It was very... Just niggling, I thought something was wrong. <laughs> niggling. <laughs> weird English word. There's so many weird English words. Those UK weirdos. Thought that something was wrong, still playing with, and although I lay in bed, I couldn't quite work out what it was. When I figured it out, I sat bolt right and screamed. I screamed and I screamed, shaking, spittle flying from the lips. I locked the gate. Except I never had to do that before. Because the gate was always locked. Whatever was in there had escaped. I stayed up all night the day drinking coffee, watching TV, with actually absorbing any of what was happening on screen. I became paranoid, turning the volume off on TV and simply listening. Even the sound of cars driving past me set me on edge. I called my boss and told him I wouldn't work there anymore. He didn't sound surprised at all and said told me patrols would be taken over by someone else. A tone haunted his voice and it wasn't quite fear. But the quick breaths in between his words suggested something was up. Or I was paranoid. I never really had faith in my own judgment, not quantity for a police officer. But I'm usually able to convince myself that I simply misunderstood. And as I hung up and put the phone down next to me, the sun began to set. As darkness crept over, I closed all the blinds and sat on the sofa, staring at the white noise on the television. It was faint, almost inaudible to the untrained ear, a small scratching coming from outside the walls of my house. I bit my lip and closed my eyes and listened to it gradually moved. Slowly, the scratching would slide from wall to wall and was trying to find a way in. I haven't slept yet, and I don't think I will. I like it. Nice. Yeah, there his stories are crazy. Um, I, I would say that that's probably the fifth or sixth story we've read, but there are so many different people I've read his stuff with, and I'm I'm never surprised at the quality that some of these people are able to muster just for some bullshit stories online. You remember there's an old X Files episode where they're I've out, watched all of X Files. They're so. they're out in the woods and uh, they're out in the woods and they find these people who are around from when like Ponce de Leon was running around and they're like these tree people yep and sucking them into the ground and like exactly and there's the way the moss and, and the way shit. that the show ends is that one of these people is actually underneath Scully's bed at the time yeah and that's what it kind of reminds me of it kind of reminds me of the series of something just following someone something just following that you can't see you can't understand I fucking love it I think it's great <laughs> I love I love the old X-Files series I really do not not a huge fan of the new stuff. Uh, it's it's hard. The new stuff's hard. I. Uh, it's a little too fresh. It's a little too clean. I think it is. I think it's a little polished. I think when Robert Patrick came into the X Files, things changed a little bit. Skinner's still one of my favorite characters. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, Skinner, Skinner is... You're talking about character transformation. Skinner has gone through everything. He's gone from being just a horrible person, along with the Smoky Man, to becoming a good guy. And well, didn't Smoky Man get fucking missiled? Didn't, didn't he get missiled? Did he survive the missile? He, Smoking Man survived yeah, the missile. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Smoking Man surviving a fucking missile to his dome. How did I forget about that? Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's one of my all-time favorite shows. And that was one of the shows that I watched. I watched when I was 13, 14 years old at night. That was another Friday night show, The X-Files, that I, I didn't miss an episode. And I was never... What was weird about The X-Files is that I was never really, like, a big... I was never the alien guy. I didn't like the alien episodes growing up. But yeah. And I appreciated the alien, the alien episodes as I got older. But I was always I was always a big fan of the one-off. Monsters. One-off. Monster episode of the X-Files. Monster of the Week. That was my favorite stuff. It was uh, we were watching the kid from the Sandlot be a vampire and things like that. And uh, that's how I, the first time I ever saw Luke Wilson was actually a, as a vampire yeah. in yeah. the X-Files episode. Um, I really, I'm a huge fan of the, um, I always forget the actor's name, um, but it was Jack Black and Giorgio oh, and Rubisi. Rubisi. Oh, no, yeah, Rubisi. Oh, that's, that's literally my favorite episode. That With might the, be my favorite the episode. The Electro Power. fantastic. I thought that was great. These that assholes just working out in an arcade and they suddenly, like, and they're playing uh, like Rubisi's giving oh, the power to fucking shoot people. They're, they're playing like Tekken 1 or Tekken 2 or yeah. something. Like, that's how old that is. They're playing like the, like the original Tekken. And Jack Black legit looked like a teenager. I yeah. mean, he was he was probably in his twenties or something. Oh yeah, he was he was probably in the mid twenties at the time. Jack Black. That was one. Of, that's probably the first time I actually saw Jack Black. Besides, uh, some old school eighties, early nineties. No, not even high fidelity. Before high fidelity, he was an old skateboard movie. Oh, or really? no, not even skateboard. It was an old rollerblading movie. And I can't think of the actual <laughs> title. Rollerblading. Old rollerblading. Rollerblading first came out. You're not talking about Brink. <laughs> this is before Brink. This is Jack years Mike, before Jack Brink. Jack was in an old, early '90s rollerblading movie, and I can't, I can't think of the name of it. So that's gonna haunt me. I might have to go and look at that. It's, but it's because that he sounds, looks the same. That sounds pretty hilarious. He was he the same. one rollerblading? No, he's he's like the bad villain friend. I think. I think that's what he plays. I think he is the villain's like, buddy. I think that's what he plays in that. So. I'm gonna read something real quick just you, to get you read something. just yeah no I'm gonna read something real quick just to get something else in so that we at least have two stories with our loads of bullshit. Okay. Um, we have a lot of we have like literally like 20 minutes of Game of Thrones talking. So. I'm okay with that. Okay. I think Game of Thrones has some horror elements to it, and it kind of fits. This one I've actually I've heard of this one before. It's kind of um, it's kind of weird. It's a creepy pasta. Uh, and you never creepypastas are like a mixed bag you never know if they're gonna be bullshit or not this one's called have you ever wondered at the mystery of sleep okay I have wondered at the mystery of sleep I will tell you what really there's nothing besides besides children nothing scares me more than what happens when I sleep children scare you children terrify me children terrify and you have two kids I have two kids there's nothing (laughs) to me that is scarier than kids (laughs) if you listen I, I mean really like there's a reason why Stephen King has kids in all his books because kids are terrifying like there's and there's two sides of it there's Pet one side. exactly there is the one which is just the dead kid period yeah okay so dead kids are terrifying because 
they're dead kids. They're terrifying. Like, literally, like... And then there's the Losers Club side then, of things, and which is the bullshit the kids Exactly. Have. But then there's also, when you become a parent, there's also putting a kid in danger and feeling scared for that kid when you're also as a parent. So that's another thing that King is very fantastic at, is that he puts kids in danger. If you really think about it, there is literally almost kid in almost every single Stephen, Stephen King. King book. Because he is a master of knowing what will actually scare you. And sure. many of his books are just based around kids in the first place, especially with sure. it coming out in a little bit. But you'll see that. Oh man, we talk about it on like I'm every sure. episode. I'm sure. But I, I watched that four minutes before Annabelle. That stuff I put on Facebook. I fucking love everything about it right now. Yeah. It looks so good. There's just stuff that's terrifying about kids. Maybe even even looking at kids as far as an evil entity, as far as uh, like Roth, Eli Roth doing the evil kids in Hostel, where sure. when they show them and they're they just want some bubble gum, and then next thing you know, later in the movie, they're beating a person to death. And Absolutely. So there's there's also elements of that where kids, because they don't really necessarily under uh, know the idea of good and evil. That they're Absolutely not. Just, what what did I just I just watched something the other. I was watching Cowboy Bebop. There you go. And someone, uh, a character, I think it was Jet, mm-hmm. said something along the lines of. Um, Nothing's quite as evil as a kid because they don't know the they morality know the of good yet. and wrong. Exactly. Or right and wrong. Good and wrong. Good wrong. What terrifies you about sleep? The thing that terrifies me about sleep is that it's not so much as far as what's happening as far as as I'm sleeping. I don't I don't necessarily it's not as oh will I ever wake up or anything like that. It is what is actually happening around the room that I am sleeping in. The okay. fact that you are the most vulnerable of your entire life there's no more vulnerable time in your entire life than when you are sleeping and that is what makes it terrifying that you have no idea what is happening in the world around you while you're sleeping you ever watch anything about like sleep paralysis I do or you know anything about it like the nightmare on yeah. Netflix I mean we, we I mean as far as sleep paralysis as far as um, being awake not being able to move but watching as far as what's around you that's one thing what scares me more is the fact that uh, you hear stories about people that honestly get murdered or killed in their sleep and the thing is that you don't know what's happening and, I, and we're probably it's not so much that it's one thing when you live alone by yourself because you know that most of the time no one is going to be in a room being married having kids and things like that and having something costly in my house it's one thing to think that my wife could absolutely one day just lose her shit while I'm sleeping and just stab me to death. And just fucking kill me. <laughs> and just kill me. It takes a lot of trust to share a bed with someone. <laughs> yeah, you don't think about that stuff when you're married? Like, you don't think about that stuff when you get married? Like, that's not one of those things that, uh, proposing to somebody, like, will this person kill me? <laughs> Is this person going to turn over <laughs> this and this person going to kill me when I'm sleeping? Exactly. When I am my most vulnerable and just exactly. fucking smother me. But how many times do you hear stories about... You know, Spouse. kids sleeping or spouses and just getting like shotgunned in the face when they're sleeping and stuff like that. That is the most terrifying thing in the what world. What was it I was just reading last week? Um, a high school couple just decided out of nowhere that they were going to kill their, kill them, the girlfriend's family yeah. and siblings yeah. just because they wanted to hang out and have sex and Gnarly watch Twilight that, and shit. I mean, that's. Literally found two days later, bodies still in the beds of a little girl and a mom. Yeah. Uh, while apparently the uh, two kids were naked watching Twilight eating ice cream yeah. in the living room. It's disgusting. I mean, literally, like, that is that is one of those things where I think about, it's just terrifying. That is that is one of those real-life circumstances. There's not, honestly, there's not many 
real life circumstances that are absolutely terrifying that you have no control over. Because there's things that where you can take yourself out of the situation, put yourself in a situation. But it's sleep but you're and sleeping. kids. Sleeping? Kids you are responsible for yeah, and exactly. sleep you are vulnerable for. Exactly. There is nothing more vulnerable. There is no more vulnerable time in your entire life than when you're sleeping. And there is something about kids where... Oh, you don't got to tell <laughs> me. Kids, yeah. kids, kids scared of, They absolutely scared the shit out of me. They don't I mean, understand death. You could be the you could be the worst horror movie ever, but if you start throwing around like little dead kids and stuff like that, and start playing, like literally the scariest thing about the Blair Witch Project, the original movie, the original yes. Blair Witch Project, yeah, was when they're sleeping in those tents and you start hearing those little kids running around and they're banging on the sides of the tent, little hands, and start seeing little tent. hands. Something about little kids will absolutely scare the shit out of you, and it it, it may not make sense because you're like, I could just beat the shit out of all those little kids, and you probably could. Yeah, <laughs> but they've been in movies. There's a reason why movies keep showing little kids, and it's because like Pet Cemetery and Boogie. I mean, you could well, we, a horror, horrible. We horror as movies, adults but. don't feel right fighting children because exactly. it's, uh, it's just not right. You know, abuse. You always look at good kids as kids as the good entity in any kind of movie. Even if they got, like, a, a knife or something, like, you, <laughs> the best you can do is fucking defend yourself and try not to hurt the kid that much. That's usually what it comes down to, and it goes back, yeah, children are the corn, it goes back, like, these are adults that could have defended themselves in any situation and literally didn't just because these kids had sides and shit and they were just, you know, fucking yeah. loopy. Absolutely. Have you ever wondered at the mystery of sleep? I have, actually. Tell me all about it, Captain. <laughs> have you ever wondered at the mystery of sleep? The dark unknown of time when our conscious reality slips away and only slippery fragments of strange and obscure memories we call dreams occasionally cling to the outer reaches of our minds in a broken, hazy recording of this lost period of our lives. It's a big sentence. <laughs> In our waking moments, we moan and begrudge those elements that try to control our fleeting time awake, the daily jobs that fill our hours with rarely any visible impact on the world around us, the relationships we must adapt to and work on to maintain, the laws and cues and pathways and schedules and a million other things that curtail and bind us daily. And yet, how easily we abandon this control we value so highly and moan about so often every day when we close our eyes. In that respect, I guess we see it as an escape, a fleeting release from the daily realities of the life both thrust upon us and equally one we have enlisted into. Sleep, a state of nothingness that offers nothing except a cessation of a need to care. Think about how we describe it. We fall asleep. We drift into unconsciousness. Tiredness overwhelms us. The act of sleep to us is an abandoning of control, of loosening our hands on the reins of our lives and giving ourselves over completely to a temporary oblivion. Like millions of others, I used to like that feeling, that drowsiness at the end of the day, sinking into the warm seclusion of a blanket and pillow, unconsciously releasing the mental tethers on my body, turning off at the end of the day. Until now. Until the day I didn't sleep, or rather remembered that I do not sleep, that none of us ever truly sleep. 
I laid in bed, I adjusted my pillows, I moved the covers, I checked the messages on my phone, and surfed the web for a while. Nothing. No drowsiness, no drooping of the eyelids, no slowdown of my thoughts, nothing I anticipated happening, as it had thousands upon thousands of times before. Then a niggling sensation. What is it with these? This is so weird. How did this happen again? I thought I thought when it happened the first time, that's just weird. When it happened this time, now it's now it's double weird. That's, it's such a weird word. The niggling sensation touched me. An errant thought from the basest, darkest part of my mind suddenly sparked into existence. It spread and grew, spilling out memories of my conscious mind could not access during the waking hours, but which now, when I laid myself down to sleep, came tumbling back up like bile from the pit of my stomach to fill my mind with sick realization, and with memory came understanding. I was awake. I had always been awake, just like everyone else in the world has always been awake. Sleep with was an illusion, a pre-programmed period of darkness in our memories, activated between a single blink of our eyes when we sought our beds to retreat in soothing unconsciousness. Every imagined period of sleep was this, a frozen sliver of personal time. I rose and looked back, leaving my body behind as my consciousness cut loose. Got some astral projection oh, going yeah, on right now. I observed my body wrapped in its covers and shallow breathing, the closed eyelids empty, like a vehicle left with the engine idling, waiting for its driver to return. I turned and saw without my eye without eyes today's handler arrive within the room. Mentally I gave it form, for in truth it had none. My mind conjured one to match the sullen hatred I felt for it, a dark storm cloud of smoke turning inward and devouring itself over and over without end, for that's how I interpreted its actions, a formless beast that constantly drew things in but gave nothing back. I watched in frozen loathing as dark, thorny tendrils emerged from its roiling mass and moved towards my detached consciousness. Whilst pain in the remit of the body, it is the mind that interprets the signals, and my handler, as with all the handlers I had experienced before, were nothing if not experts in these situations. I felt the searing touch of its joining, its mental, its own mental threads writhing through my mind, sending me off into wild tangents of thought and memory as it settled comfortably into my consciousness. The house guest of my mind saw sensation, and whilst it gave nothing of its own thoughts, its motives were always clear enough. The need to feel. Bodiless, they had sought out beings such as we, and during those times when we believed we slept soundly and untroubled in our beds, they settled upon our minds like a thick, oily slick sliding into the nooks and crannies of our beings. Maybe they had never felt before or had done so in some far distant past and had grown beyond the limits of flesh, but now wanted to sample the sensation of feeling once more. And they had found us. They didn't want to risk us rejecting them, fighting them, as we would have in response to open subjugation. So they came at night, hidden outside our sight, our space, our time even, except for that moment when our bodies were required to rest, yet our minds continue, and they hijacked us en masse. They have hidden that part of our lives from us, and in our enforced ignorance, we have given that unknowing time of slavery a seemingly harmless name, sleep. Only during that blink of time when our consciousness frees itself from our bodies do we remember, and with remembrance comes pain. It all comes flooding back, and they intend this too, for in these memories are all things they have made us live through. This recollection alone brings a sharp, twisting agony to us that thrills them more than any other. 
a part in within our minds they create, picking apart our pasts and sorting through our memories, the experience of our lives laid out before them, which they shatter like eager children, constructing nightmarish worlds of jumbled thought and sensation. Most are fragmentary experiences, but some are shards, jagged-edged thoughts and feelings tied to darker memories, and it's these our handlers seek to build our nighttime worlds from. Then they loose us on these imaginary planes, living out new stories from our memories, teasing out new feelings for them to experience. Sometimes we live whole lives, but mostly it is the short, sharp thrills they seek, whose fleeting glimpse we catch only as flickers and forgotten terror and dreams of falling from great heights or being hunted by monsters of our subconscious, and sometimes we are killers ourselves, and we awake shivering, wondering what this says about us, when in truth it says more about them. They use us to fulfill these dark fantasies, but the confusion and the guilt becomes our own. And when they're finally done and have had their fill, they release their control, but not before burying these memories deep inside us. Some of these memories escape and seep out into our conscious minds. We call them dreams and pay them little credence. Would society survive if we all knew what happens when we close our eyes to seek the illusory escape of sleep? How could we continue to perform even the smallest action, maintain the semblance of order we have built for ourselves if our waking moments were in a state of continual dread, awaiting that inevitable time that our frail minds and bodies give into demands of tiredness and become lost to us once more to those things that use our lives and experiences to provide ourselves entertainment for their own? For myself, here I stand, with the wind whipping around my legs, tugging at me, threatening to pull me over this roof edge as I gaze down the floors beneath to the gray monotony of the pavement below. I'm tired, so very tired, and soon I will rest, but it's not enough, nowhere near enough. When I can hold on no longer and that final blink before sleep takes me, then I shall fall. There is no opportunity to test this theory, just a wild final hope that my release will also serve as a warning to them, a message that, although they own us during that forever frozen moment of our nights, some of us remember, this one will do more than just remember. This nightmarish recall of all they have done to me in the past, these harsh memories they have hidden within me, as they do to all of us, this has given me power. The struggle to hold on to my dreams has given me the strength, trained me to hold on to all those thoughts they bury within us. I will use this last remaining strength when I fall, when today's handler comes to call, and I will entwine my thoughts in theirs and hold them fast and then will take it with me. But before I do, I will mail this from my phone. Not many will believe it. Most will think me mad, but enough will wonder and question. Most will throw away a few seconds thinking about it, then move on to another story. But some will ask themselves those questions that I myself asked. Indeed, that one question in particular that will plague you as you settle down to sleep tonight. But thankfully, it will plague me no longer. Do you remember the precise moment you fell asleep? I don't. I like it. Because usually it's in the throes of alcohol and drugs. <laughs> Honestly, is there is there anything more personal than when you than what you dream about when you sleep? I mean, honestly, absolutely there... not. And and as he was, as this author was describing it, I found myself recalling moments of dreams where I had either been the hunter, been hunted, or had fallen from huge heights and have experienced huge amounts of fear and woken up in a cold sweat and you know ever since a kid I was having nightmares of bullshit and you know while it has 
subsided in my adulthood, there's still like even even the story works with that. Sure. We're just a comatose mass. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's 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 things that you when you dream about where no one else is experiencing that. There, the, you are the only person that's experiencing that. If you tell somebody else, then you are only sharing that information with whoever you share that to. But there are a few things in life, such as dreams and what happens when you sleep, that are more personal to you. Absolutely. I mean, that is one of those few things where you share that information, but if you don't share that information, no one else knows that information. Absolutely no one. And there is... agree with that shit. Absolutely. And there is things that you experience when you sleep that you have no recollection of experiencing yeah. firsthand, climbing a mountain, falling off a roller coaster, you know, there's there's terrifying things that happen when you sleep where you have no firsthand experience of that happening, yet you still experience that as if you were living that. Situation. The feeling, the momentum, the sensations, exactly, like everything, because the brain is such a what, what? weird and misunderstood tool. How do you know what it's like to fall off? Say, say you, say you're having a dream where you are on a roller coaster at an amusement park, and that, you know, the track breaks out, and you fall off of a roller coaster. How does your body know what that experience feels like? Yes. Associating that momentum exactly, yeah. the feel of the wind, the feel of the rushing towards the ground. How does your body know what that experience feels like? Yet you have never experienced that sensation. How does things like that happen? And there, there's thousands of them falling off things. We always have those dreams where we're grabbing on or holding onto something and we fall off. And how does your body know that that is what's happening? Because you've never experienced that before. So what what is going on that makes your body? Because you, when I, I know when I fall asleep and I have those sensations, I am so fully enveloped into that. You feel like it's happening. Absolutely. What, where does your body know that that's coming from? And that that is what the the wild experience of sleeping. If we talk about how we don't know, we have no really understanding of the oceans, and we have no really understanding of space and things like yeah. that. But what about inside us? What about sleep? What about just general? What happens to us for something that we experience for seven, eight hours every single day, and we have no Isn't it comprehension like, of what's happening? It's something like forty percent of the brain is still yet unmapped. Exactly. As far as biology so goes, what's happening when we sleep? What, I mean, literally, I mean, it's completely possible. We talk about alternative timelines and things like that, and we talk about different experiences of time, that time itself is a concept that we're literally, like, you're experiencing every single decision that you've ever made in your lifetime, that you are also experiencing that decision in another lifetime. What if, what if while we are sleeping, we are actually experiencing what happened to us in different lifetimes and different and so experiences many, so many and books like and so many you know religious things come out of that conversation like ted decker wrote an entire series about a guy living another life while he's red, asleep white, black. yeah great books yep. um and green red white black and green yep. green is kind of the wraparound it's yep. like his version of dark tower exactly. not nearly as good yep. um but then there's also something as simple as like the idea of reincarnation, like the idea that we have had all these histories, that our soul has just moved from mortal instrument to mortal instrument, and it's just, we're the same soul in a different body, living a different life, exactly. but we have all of these past histories and past times, 
And like, who's to say that we don't get that sensation of falling because one of our, you know, last lives died? What if one of our current lives is dying? And that's you know, like, that is literally di- what we're different timeline or future experience. experience. What if we're literally experienced like, if I have a dream where Puff Daddy or P Diddy. <laughs> Is shotgunning me down in the street somewhere. What is it saying that one of my, you know, billionth lifetimes or one of my alternate world experiences that P. Diddy is shooting me down in the street somewhere? Like, what is happening here? Ayo, scotch. Exactly. Ayo, scotch. Bang, bang. Exactly. So when I wake up and I feel like I just got shot for some reason, what happens if that's actually what I'm experiencing? What if I'm actually Have just. Have you ever had that dream? I actually have had that You've dream. You've had that I have actually. Is that I'm, the most ridiculous dream? That is one had? of the most ridiculous dreams I've ever I've had some ridiculous ones, but that, that one is. Getting killed by P. Diddy is probably one of the most ridiculous ones. I, t- I, I tend to not remember my dreams in complete honesty. I don't think I really have held on to my dreams since like high school. Um, before the drugs took hold, I think. Um, and then the liquor, the demons, the demons I do have. Um, I, you know, most of my dreams, even in adolescence, were always running away from something, like yeah. whether it be a monster or a person, like uh, even even like I feel like as I was a kid, it was like I was running away from spiders yeah. or ventriloquist dummies or clowns and you know stupid fears that just live on the material realm. And then it slowly grew into like running away from killers and a lot more human aspects of things sure. like people that I thought I trusted and turned out to betray sure. me and it started to become personal. And then it grew up to like running away from like responsibilities and more like social constructs than it turned into like people or anything subjective. It turned into com- just completely more like vague theorizing. Sure. No, I absolutely um, agree. It's it's it's. But every every once in a while, I will have a dream, and this has persisted throughout my entire life. There's a video game coming out called Little Nightmares, and nothing has ever been more accurate than I've ever seen. Um, The idea of being so small, and I've had this dream a million times since I was a kid, being the size of an action figure in, in our world in the world of grotesque super huge beings i've had this repeated nightmare of being like three inches to six inches tall and having to hide around a house being completely vulnerable from the idea of a giant walking around looking for me knows i'm in the house and is trying to literally kill me like an insect like step on me hit me with a fly swatter anything like i'm a pest in the existence of this being. And that is a nightmare I've had repeatedly really? since I was a child. That is a good one. That is, and now, that is a and, good one. And it's something as far as, like, I can remember being in, like, first or second grade and having that nightmare and being, like, really confused when I woke up and being like, did I get that from something? Was that from, like, a book or a video game or, like, a an episode of, like, Rugrats or something? Like, for the life of me, I can't, like, think about where I got that from. And only now am I starting, like, to realize that, like, other people have that That nightmare. same exact nightmare. That same exact nightmare of being the jack and a beanstalk yeah. kind of situation where you're hiding from something that is completely out of your control and just dwarfs you in size absolutely and it's just a grotesque monstrous person and you know now that i'm older i'm like oh it's big brother and the subjugation has begun 
and you know they want to quell me as a person, but really it's just a giant fucking well, thing sure. they want to so, step on. But so they they tell you that that the faces that you see in your dreams and things like that 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 you don't make faces in your dreams. That every face that you've ever seen in your dreams is a face you've recognized in public. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when we're talking about things like this. Where does that face come from? Like, where, where does that experience come from? So what if it is something that we have seen, but not in our lifetime, but in an alternate lifetime, where we are literally sharing memories around with each other? I, I love this conversation. And uh, just, like, heads up to anyone listening. Like, th- that's it. Those are the two stories that we're reading. Yeah. I just want to talk to Scutch for the rest of the episode. So if you're not into that, then get the fuck out of here. Um, we, we've been talking about like horrifying things and books and shit, but you are hands down the most dedicated Stephen King, like reader slash listener I know. And I would like to think that like both Django, Disco, I'm not going to say his full name, fuck you, and Frowns and Tenron, like everyone I, I tend to have on the show uh, Sir Booberry, like everyone likes Stephen King but no one's ever really quite dedicated enough to read like everything he's ever sure. done and I would say like you're probably the only person who's read more Stephen King than me because I when, when we started working together like I literally read everything since creation up to like 2014 yeah. at the time um, so the last thing I read was Joyland. I haven't read anything new past that. But um, I fucking love Stephen King. I do too. And I love it to the point where, honestly, Stephen King's books where you can enhance Stephen King's books. Like, it's rarely that there's an author that's written books that you can enhance the books themselves. I used to go out into the woods in early morning at like 7, 8 o'clock in the morning in the pitch dark. And I would read Stephen King books as the sun would come up in the middle of the woods just because it just terrified me so much I love that's fantastic I love the idea of reading Stephen King books so I would actually go out into the woods and read Stephen King but like I read it I, I probably read the entire book of it between the hours of 7 and 9 o'clock in the morning in the fall when it was dark out <laughs> it's such a wild thing to think about no, but yeah like great. literally like that's you're dedicated that's what I mean because I, Stephen Stephen King is I want to say he's the best horror author ever but what Stephen King is very great at is making an atmosphere for you that that you can personally identify with. Even in his most outlandish shit that Stephen King has written, you still identify with stuff. Absolutely. You still identify, like, we can talk about it now because we're going to talk about it now for probably the next, like, year and a half now since this movie's coming out. But we can talk about it as... So it comes out in less than three weeks, I believe, or in three weeks. This is going to air for a while, so we are more than able to talk about it, and I'm going to talk about it with several people. You know, I'm going to see it with at least three or four other people that do this podcast with me, so when we're done, we're probably just going to do like an hour long, let's talk about it. Sure, but you're talking about just the idea of just something so simple as kids going into a sewer kids going into a sewer to challenge a monster that lives in the sewer something that we've experienced when we were kids forever and that's what makes Stephen King so great is that there's chances where when you were a kid 
you're playing with a ball or you're playing with something and you roll into a sewer grate. And that sewer grate was something that was completely unknown. It was something that was so simple as a sewer grate that you had no chance of ever getting that ball again. It was in another world. It's a completely different world. And Stephen King is so good at taking something so simple like that. So banal, so boring. As a sewer grate. And making it something so completely terrifying that you will think about it every single time that you walk, walk by, by a sewer ever game. again. Yeah. That's what makes him so great about that. It's not that he's such a great writer. I mean, he's very descriptive. His writing, as far as how he's writing, he's an average, he's an above average. I'll say he's an above average. He's not a great writer. He's an above average writer. But he, yeah, doing? he's not, the, he's definitely not the most fantastic writer. It's exactly. just, it's just he has a solid rate and he has a solid output. And that, that to me, makes him a great writer. Someone who constantly comes back to the board with something relatively new, relatively original. Um, His ratio of, like, good to bad is more than, like, 80 to 20%. You know? Like, I... It's very rarely I I finish a book and I'm like, that fucking sucked. When, When it comes from Stephen King, like, I can't... Even thinking about what I dislike the most about him, I would revisit... You know, like, um, Eye of the Dragon and Talisman, like, weren't my favorite, but because they deal with Dark Tower series so much, like, I guess I would revisit them. Exactly. So even when it's not his strongest, because Eyes of the Dragon was supposed to be for his kids and it was supposed to be just bullshit fantasy, it still has a, a big torch to... Dark Tower and and flag and flags backstory. So it's like you have to understand, and you know that's another thing. Like Dark Tower, like that's a whole another fucking conversation <laughs> really in is. itself. But like, if you're not even thinking about it as a universe, at least the, I could I could justifiably say that all of his books, like, need at least two read throughs, need at least two listens. To you're read, always missing something. To really, yeah, to really pick up on everything going on. And that's not even acknowledging the universe, because, like, spoilers for all the fucking idiots out there, all of his books take place in the same universe, in the sense that, like, they all take place, like, next to each other. You know, I'm not even gonna... Like, the universe thing has been going on for a while now, with, like, movies and media, and, like, the world is starting to pick up on people liking that. But... King has been doing this for like 40 years. Yeah. And he's always had it in the back of his mind. And I think that's nuts. King has written himself into his own books. <laughs> King, King wrote himself into the Dark Tower series. Yes. Stephen King is a character. We consider a major character into the Dark Tower series, which is absolutely wild that you would write yourself. As far as the main characters, I mean, I'm other not sure. So. I mean, oh, yeah, well, that's a whole different series. <laughs> this is who he is, and like as soon as we saw it at Tim Curry's it, we were like, it's fucking Bo. <laughs> here's something that just snatches like, you. I, like, I didn't know Bozo, and growing up, clowns were already out of. They weren't necessarily considered scary. They're like circus. No, I'm just way. saying that, like, clowns weren't in the public atmosphere anymore. Like, exactly. no one really, no one hired clowns anymore. Exactly. When the 90s were, I was growing up in the 90s. You're yeah. you're a good 10 years older than me. Yeah, I'm an 80s kid. I would consider myself so like I don't know if kid. clowns were around more when you were younger, but they were they were dead by yeah. the time sure. the 90s came around. You didn't have clown parties. I didn't understand clowns, and clowns were legitimately 
always treated as a horror trope throughout the 90s. Anything from kids shows to horror movies, like, clowns have just been just verified nightmare fuel since I had grown up. And I legitimately didn't get around to watching the It 90s series because my parents just thought it would continue to give me nightmares. And, like, I caught maybe ten minutes of it when I was a kid, and I continued to have nightmares of it. So it's just, like, I didn't get around to it until I was in high school, until I had legitimately finished the book. It was one of the, like, five Stephen King books I read before I decided I was going to read everything. The book is nuts. The book... The book... The book is nuts. The book is ten times what the original miniseries was. I don't even... I don't romanticize the miniseries by any means. I don't think Curry is... I don't think Curry is textbook Pennywise. I think he's great for what material he had, and he's the best part of the miniseries. But the miniseries in itself was pretty shitty. Yeah. It really is. I mean, honestly, like... A lot of people romanticize it. They they do. They really do. And honestly, I am not one of those people. I will legit tell you that. The only reason they romanticize it is because... Stephen King adaptations sure. are usually shit. Yeah, and they're, but, but they're a romanticized period. Almost every single Stephen King book that's ever been written, you will find somebody who absolutely... I don't like no Kubrick's what. Shining. Yeah. I will take uh, the fucking dude from Cheers in the made-for-TV Shining over Kubrick Shining any day. Different Wings. Yeah. Oh, it's Wings. It is Wings. It oh, is absolutely Wings. Cheers. No, it's all right, but it's not. Um, but that is absolutely true. It's closer... With the, uh, it's closer to the book. It makes topography and things like that with the animal, the animal, uh, the hedge the sculpture. Yeah, the sculptures yeah, outside. The animal sculptures um, outside. And even up to the ending, exactly. even up to the it's ending, much closer. Uh, death. If you want to watch a, a real adaption of The Shining, I'm sure there's websites that you can find. Those oh, you can watch it for free, absolutely. Exactly. Um, but you can find that, but that is much closer to the adaption of The Shining than Kubrick's is. Absolutely. And I, I'm not like I can, I can. And I could sit here and stroke my dick to the cinematography of any Kubrick movie and how he directed things, but ultimately what it comes down to is the story. And that book and the actors in that movie have no... Let's face it. The, the, what, makes the, what makes The Shining, Kubrick's version of Shining, is Jack Nicholson. It's Nicholson. He's crazy going crazy. And, and Kubrick's use of camera. Yep, and the female character... Absolutely losing her mind. Olive oil. Absolutely losing her mind. For literally, and just screaming for like an hour and a half straight. Yeah. That is literally what sells those movies. And and the idea, there was all this stuff going around when filming it that like they had to do 36 takes of the door getting chopped down and 40 takes of going up the stairs yelling, you know, dull boy and all that shit. Um, You know, but... But what nothing. Does it, it tell you about a movie where the most memorable scene in that entire movie is where you think a dog is blowing a dude? Like literally, absolutely. <laughs> what does that tell you absolutely. about a movie? Like literally, what does that tell you about a movie? How good of a movie is where like literally the, the scene that everybody remembers yeah. is when they, Nicholson goes up or when she goes upstairs and she looks over in the hallway and there's a dude in a furry on his knees costume. in a furry costume and a dude laying on a bed. What does that tell you about the movie? Dressed itself? up as like exactly. Reagan or something. How good was blown. that movie? Exactly. It, it is a good movie. Don't oh. get me wrong. Uh, it's just at the end of the day, when it comes to measuring King adaptations, like, I really don't hold uh, it 
or shining in, in, re- in really high regard. Oh my god, I need to show you I need to show you the clip before uh, I mean after. When we're done, I'm gonna okay. show you that clip because okay. it's the first four minutes of the movie. It's the or, first four minutes. Okay, maybe not the first four minutes of the movie. There's probably some context they lay down first. But there it's the it's the Georgie scene. Okay. Up to the arm. Getting the arm we're gonna rip up off. Up to the point of the arm. Now they is the arm show. actually I wonder do you think the arm is actually gonna get ripped off? Oh they're gonna Yeah. They're gonna straight rip it. They're gonna rip it. Okay. So what I what I heard what I have heard okay. of early cuts of the film is that they zoom out a whole bunch and okay. you see Georgie from very far away reach in. Okay. And it's kinda of st- And he kinda of gets like pulled in and okay. struggles a little bit and when he comes back out No arm. He doesn't have an arm and then he collapses. Little, little and then you see the rest of his body get pulled into the Okay. Pulled into the now, sewer. No his body didn't get pulled into a sewer in, in the no, book. No, not tight. in the book. Yeah. So so But I just, think I think they're running with a we never found the body thing for oh, the movie. That's fantastic. There's a lot of stuff happening in the trailers for this movie. I love the 80s the backdrop. Yes. I'm okay with the 80s I, backdrop. I absolutely love everything that I've seen so far. So you're going to relate to this a little bit more. I absolutely usually. love everything about this. Now, I I am a big book truther as far as stuff that goes. Okay. Because I, I, I read a lot. Yeah. So I'm a big book truther as far you're as... You're probably the biggest reader I know or I've had on the show. So... I love, yeah. So I, but as far as the trailers for it, I've already had some like freaky dreams about this movie. Already, I, I I cannot wait. I am so. I watched I watched the original miniseries when I was younger, and it just wasn't it wasn't as impressive as this book is. It's not impressive. But what they're doing, I am perfectly everything I've seen about this movie so far. I am perfectly fine with everything that they deviated. And we've had this conversation about this before. This is the first time ever. As a Stephen King guy. I am a Stephen King guy. You are a Stephen King guy. This is the first time ever where I've watched a trailer for a Stephen King movie where I literally thought that this is a horror movie. That this is supposed to scare me. And I was legit scared you're legitimately scared. by this movie. Now, I don't care. I don't care if they deviate away from the book. Stephen King stuff is supposed to be scary. Absolutely. And we don't get... Above st- anything else, it's uh, it's always supposed to be horror. And we don't get Stephen King scary movies. Look what we, they did to Dark Tower. We don't get it. They turned into a sci-fi. It's, it's actually, they turned into the, a the Matrix, mist, man. The Mist was... The Mist was the closest I've ever been to being appeased by an adaptation. And that's legitimately just because of Frank Darabont. He literally said, like, no, I'm going to approach this material the way it's supposed to be approached, which is a survivalist horror. And he's the one who did that. And he's the one who made the ending as abysmal as he made it. But, you know, putting that aside, every other Stephen King adaptation I've never been afraid of. You've never been scared? How is it that this guy is the most... Must be the most famous. He's considered the king of horror ever, and you've never been scared by his movies. And he's probably not had once. twenty adaptions of his stuff come out in, in certain, if not more, yeah, exactly. In, in certain it, stuff that's even titled from his stuff, or even stuff that's titled different, but it's just based on his novels and things like that. And you've never been scared by one of them. How is it? 
I mean, I you know, as a kid, I was scared of it, and then very quickly, you know, I grew up. You don't even watch it again. And I rewatched it, and I was like, no, I'm just. If anything, I just acknowledge it for Curry's performance and how much I enjoy him as an actor and how how treasured he is as a person. Um, And that that's definitely one of his best roles and one of his best jobs. But this is the first time, like, even seeing promo uh, concept art of the new Pennywise. Um, and what they're doing with his um, teeth yeah. when he goes into beast mode, it's just like, this is nightmare fuel. It's a nightmare stuff. This is, this is good. This it's is going to be time. good stuff. This is the like, first time. Like, they said their priority for this movie is to legitimize the idea that Pennywise, that it, Bob Gray, is supposed to be the power of your nightmares. Yeah. And nothing makes me happier. Fantastic. Like the um, the teasers that they show with Eddie running away from the leper and walking into a room full of clown dolls. It gets me going, man. It took, it legitimately took 40 plus years of Stephen King writing books to get something to where we're actually scared when we can watch it as far as a movie. It took 40 years of him writing stuff. Before a horror director comes forward and says, okay, we need to direct this like a horror movie. It's an actual horror movie. It took 40 years for that to happen. I mean, I mean, there, there, there is, there's, if you go back in history and you look at stuff that, because there's stuff that you still don't know that was written by Stephen King. Yeah. Or is based off of stuff that was written by Stephen King. Yeah. It took 40 years. It took 40 years for someone to be like, you know what? Let's make a horror movie based off of a Stephen I King I still book. think, like, How just, crazy is that? just going off before we come back to it, like, I still think The Long Walk is the most easy to turn into a budget-worthy blockbuster film okay. at this point. Yeah. I still think The Long Walk is the easiest movie they could do that will make bank real quick. Yeah. Not horror, though. No, not, not, not true horror. Not. Maybe a societal kind of government's fucked up kind of horror. Yeah. But not, you know, in the same vein of Hunger Games, Battle Royale, it's, it's very similar. Yeah. Um, granted, it was before both of those. Sure. I'm pretty sure. Um, it was. But yeah, like, it's very rare that we actually, you know, look at the material and say, let's actually do this and try to make people shit. You gotta understand the, the weird stuff that, like, I don't think people understand, like, if you ever watched that movie The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, that's yeah, Stephen that, King. That is a Stephen King book. That is That was written as Richard Bachman. And let me tell you, that has nothing to do with the movie. It has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. His movies, his books, have been transcribed in the movies more than... Probably any other author in history. Absolutely. But you have no idea because the movies are so ridiculous compared to what the books are in that you have no idea that that was actually written by Stephen King. Now, you're talking about a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. An action movie. And it's just turned into an action movie. And that's it what was a lot absolutely of this stuff turned has. into an action It yeah. was supposed to be a societal deconstruction exactly. of how we legitimize, or I, I like that word right now. Um, the idea of the Running Man, was how Stephen we consume, King's how we consume Blade Runner. I mean, it really was. It was his. The Running Man was Stephen King's Blade Runner, with a little twist, exactly. with a little. I mean, like, it was his. Cherry it was, it was his. It's fifth element. That's what he was written as. It was written as his sci-fi modern society. Everything is based it. off. The reality was that he wrote about reality TV, twenty-five years before reality TV was reality TV. And the reality TV we that, know, we, that yeah. we know today, yeah, and that's that's what The Running Man actually was when it was written by Richard Bachman, which yeah. was Stephen King's pen name. 
mm-hmm. and the movie is completely different than what was actually written. But if you want to read something as close as to 1984 as we're going to get by Orwell, compared to nowadays, we're talking about the Kardashians and things like that, read Stephen King's original Running Man, because that's really what that is. That is Stephen King's 1984. I mean, that's really what it was. It was based off of... It really everything is. Up, everything up to it the really point at the end, and yeah, you're exactly. just like, shit, like, he's, yeah. really, he's really trying to bring it down. Um, uh, I just... I think I think Long Walk is also a Bachman book. I'm pretty sure. He was trying to distance himself. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Long Long yeah. Walk is also... One of my favorite Stephen King books, uh, The Long Walk. Um, I just think it's the easiest to turn into a movie. Um, because, you know, even tackling it as a project... There's a there's a lot of stuff you can't actually put in the movie. Yeah, oh, you can't. I mean, there there's some. It, listen, right. do you want to talk about the kid orgy? I don't no, know if we, no, we don't talk, talk about, about the kid orgy. orgy. We don't talk about kid. When you have kids, you don't talk about kid orgy. You don't talk about the kid orgy exactly. So there there's things that that, that were written into the Stephen King. But it's not even an orgy. It's literally like a one at a time. Come on, let's make a connection. Because yeah, because that makes them stronger as a whole. It, it, it was a well, really you know, weird. The way I the way I figure it is. You always remember who you lost your virginity to. Sure. It, that's and if, it, and it if the point it, yeah. of remembering what they did today is the most valid point that they have, there's no way to better remember that day than Listen, if, the if, day if you if lost your virginity. If you're watching a movie and you're not seeing a giant fucking turtle flying around in space, you are still not watching a real Stephen King <laughs> <laughs> And that's the thing is with the, t- with the 2017, we're not going to see a giant turtle in space. You know, I, I, I read a story once about how in the original 1990 series, they wanted to include a line for Tim Curry to say something along the lines of like, not even turtle can help you now. And literally every test audience was just like, what the fuck is he talking about <laughs> turtles for? <laughs> every every yeah. reaction came back just saying, what the fuck is with the turtle line? So they cut it. Yeah. Well, I don't blame them. I mean, that's... I mean, literally, that's hard to say to somebody, but listen, it's not a true adaption unless you're seeing a giant fucking turtle flying around. Because space. Newsflash Dark Tower fucks is the... the protector of our realm, the protector of our world... It's a giant fucking space turtle. Alright? That's the Earth we live in. <laughs> the Earth we live in because there are 12 realms and they're all protected by different, you know, giant space animals. They're all protected by these entities. Ours is that of the turtle. <laughs> like, I literally, like, Stephen King... Stephen King's book... He did a lot of drugs. Yeah, so you really, really cared. Like, literally... <laughs> I'm sorry, but Stephen King's written like 50 books, and the fact that you don't know that they're all based around a big giant space turtle just tells me that you have no idea what the fuck You have no going idea what's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. If you don't know about the, the, tur- the all-seeing turtle, um, then it ain't the real adaptation. <laughs> but but let's, let's put that aside, because the 2017 adaptation, we're not going to see the Yeah, I'm turtle. sorry. I'm not and talking if, shit, believe me. If but, we get a wink-wink, yes. wink, yes. I think we're going to get a wink-wink. I don't think we're gonna get an acknowledgement a full out. If you want to, if you if you really want to know somebody's a big Stephen King fan, just just throw out you know big flying fucking turtle and uh, if you, if you get a uh, if you get a like a nod back, then you know hey that guy 
The guy Ask knows, me about guy girl, my turtle. That guy knows what the fuck he's talking about. Oh he, my god. <laughs> that's where that we're is at. the test, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's because, you know, we got the hipster fucks who just read yeah. Rear Window a million times. And then we got yeah. the people who only know about the Bachman books. And then, you know, then there's us, which is just like everything. Dark Tower, everything's connected. Sure. I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited. It's it's probably like, okay, go back a year from now, I was hesitant. Sure. I was worried. Um, We lost Carrie Fukunaga. Yeah. Fukunaga. 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 I don't know. True Detectives. Nope. We lost him. Mm -hmm. And that bothered me a little bit because I didn't like Mama too much. I really didn't. I didn't think Mama was anything new. A lot of people hail it as, like, the best new horror film of recent years. I call bullshit. I didn't think Mama was great. Um, Fuck you, Jamie Lannister. So (laughs) we, like, outright, we lost a great director Mm -hmm. and gained what I thought was an okay director. Then they released the pictures of Pennywise, and I was one of the only people I actually knew at the time going, no, that kind of matches the the Bob Gray description of the books. Everyone else was like, why isn't he colorful? Why isn't he, like, fun? Why is, like, why does he look so classical? And, like... I had to reread the book because he's ageless, and that's and that's the whole point that they're trying to make is that yes. he is he is ageless. Now this is something from sixteen hundreds, the seventeen hundreds, the fourteen hundreds, twelve hundreds. He has he been is, around for he eons, has, and centuries. He is ageless. So when you think of ageless, you don't think of bright blue. You don't think of bright red. You think of ageless. You don't think colors. of bozo. Exactly. You don't, you don't, think, you don't of bozo. think of modern. You only bright bozo, colors. You, you only you only make him look like bozo when you're trying to bring an adaptation to work in the time that exactly. that it needs to work. But in in, in this new adaptation by uh, I think it's Andre Muschietti. No. He um he's going for the book take, which is just gray frills and weird makeup and just and childlike was, demeanor. Exactly. That was the difference between what you're seeing at Tim Curry and what you're seeing now was that when we look at what Tim Curry's it was supposed to resent and what Tim Curry's Bob Gray was supposed to resent, he looked like a guy who was sitting in front of a mirror and was literally daubing makeup on him every time before he went out and did anything. And it was like that's what he looked like. He was a he did bright, look like, he, he was looked like bright a guy in makeup. Funky, yeah, he was bright and funky looking. And what you're getting now uh, from the Zikir there is that you're getting a guy who looks like he just wants to go out and kill shit he stepped, to live. He stepped out right out of your stereotypes exactly. of what a clown would look like. Except you can't imagine what this guy would look like without exactly. the makeup. And that's what's so monstrous about this new Pennywise, the new um, Scars, Scarsguard. Um... I watched Hemlock Grove. I wasn't a huge fan. Um, I think he looks a lot more promising here, and a lot of people are already saying that like he deserves an award for it. Like yeah. he looks crazy good. Um, I believe he looks crazy good. And if if you're listening, I've been talking about it for a while. Um, watch the four minute clip. I'm not saying pay to go see Annabelle because that's just bullshit. Don't go and watch Annabelle the creation because that just looks like shit. I'm not going to pay for it. No one should. Let it die. Uh, Conjuring was okay. Don't give it any more money. There's a four minute clip before Annabelle. They're using it as a preview to try and ensnare 
more individuals to go and watch that shit movie. You could find it online now. Someone made like a in-theater recording of it. Just Google it. You'll find it. Go to Reddit. You'll find it. Like, there's a four-minute clip that's the entire Georgie with the boat scene. And you just see the childlike wonder in Skarsgård's performance. And it is haunting. He 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 drools yeah. talking to Georgie, yeah. and it is beautiful. It is. It, it, it is a complete takeaway from He's like Curry a child. Did. When Curry was almost clown-like, as far as Curry was almost inviting. He was, yeah, he was fun. He was Curry, bouncy. Curry was, he was clever. Curry was the guy that you literally wanted to go and do you stuff would, with. You like would you hire, to go and, you would hire, exactly. you would hire Curry, but you would get wrapped into and drawn into a conversation exactly. with someone with Skarsgård. If Skarsgård was sitting down an alleyway and started saying, hey, come over here, like, you're almost like, you're wondering. You're like, I want to go over there and find out what's going on. Exactly. Whereas, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I showed up to a party and I and saw Curry, Curry and I saw exactly. Curry, you know, it's a whole different experience. Balloons. You have no idea where you're going to get. But that's the difference of context. Exactly. Is one of them looks presentable and the other one looks dreamlike. That's what it should be like. You're talking about a, an infinite being. So you're talking about the difference between an infinite being and someone that would show up at your child's birthday party. There's a and lot that's... of rumors about what they're trying to do with... Um... So uh, after Carrie left, after Fukunaga left, um, the script leaked mm-hmm. because they considered it dead. They weren't yeah. gonna. They weren't gonna go back in with the same script and just pick up a new director. That just doesn't happen. Apparently, from the readers of it, because I couldn't get it, a lot of people said a lot of stuff carried over. And if that's true, then we're not gonna be seeing a space spider of any kind. No, I don't think we're so. gonna be seeing a Cthulhu-esque, multi-dimensional, tentacly demon. That's better. I actually think that might be better. Absolutely. I think that it might actually be better and more representative Absolutely. to what Stephen but King But apparently, did. it's supposed to end the adaptation yeah. that's coming. Um, and if you're a reader of the book, you know that they don't fight the actual being yeah. until they are adults. Until they come back 30 years, close yeah. to 30 years later. So there's a lot of... acid, you slime. There's a lot one. of weird... Yeah, there's a lot of weird <laughs> stuff going on yeah. right now. But apparently, um, apparently they're experimenting with a lot of stuff. I'm yeah. open to it. I'm excited for it. Um, I just hope Skarsgård gets as much screen time as possible. I hope so. I really do. Hey, but, but I hope it's enough where... He doesn't become over the top. I hope it's just enough where... Because that's exactly what happened with Curry, was that they wanted to put him into every single scene of the movie. So he almost became overwhelming. He was overwhelmingly... And that's true. ...friendly, almost. That's absolutely true. It was almost overwhelmingly... The more he showed up and didn't pull bodies... It didn't scare you. The more more he showed up and didn't pull... Didn't do any damage... Exactly. ...was the more that I grew less afraid of him. Exactly. All the way up to the Prince Albert in a can scene is pretty much where I'm not afraid of him anymore. You're not scared of him because he's just making jokes in a library at that point. You're like, this is just a a clown that looks like literally like Bozo the Clown just making jokes in a library. Less is more, and I feel like with the... uh, so literally, you want to see, and so far everything that we've seen as far as these trailers and whatnot is that 
They're literally destroying. They've been advertising this movie for a year, and exactly. we didn't even hear him talk exactly. until like a month ago. They're literally just destroying the scariest part of the movie. So it's like, a very subtle. Yeah, exactly. Let the kids. The kids are setting the scene for you, and all they're doing is just letting the clown be the clown, and then it's just. But they're not overwhelming him. They're not throwing him out there in your face. The kids are setting the scene for you. Let the kids set the scene for you, because there is nothing scarier than kids in danger setting the scene or for you. Kids in or, general. <laughs> or kids in general. Or kids next to your bed Kids are fucking terrifying. So the idea of kids in, de- in, in danger is fucking terrifying. So let... Let these kids set the scene for you. These kids are literally experiencing their worst nightmares. And all you're doing is just... This is this is who is creating your worst nightmare for you. Yeah. This is your worst nightmare. This is what's creating your worst nightmare for you. And it's not some, hey, I'm making balloons and making cracking jokes and shit. This is, I'm walking into the worst goddamn situations of my entire that life. That I could have ever That imagined. I can ever imagine. Having to run away from something you don't understand. Having to watch people you know get burned to death. Walking into a room full of fucking clowns. Going into a bathroom where you think you're safe and clean and fine to be just sprayed and sputtered with Watching my little brother die again. Watching my little brother die over and over again. (laughs) Walking into a room full of dolls and dummies. And, oh. This is nightmare fuel. This is what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be nightmare fuel. These are the worst things that you can possibly think of. And this is what you're going to get out of this movie. And I hope people appreciate that. Because this is not what you got out of the original it. What you got out of the original it was just a bunch of... What you got out of the original, it was a TV adaptation. Exactly, you did. And this is something different. This is the first time. This is the hard art. This is the first time where you're going to see a Stephen King book written, like a, or directed in a movie format, like a Stephen like King movie. Like a Stephen movie. King book. And I, and I'm. It's the hard art. It's the hard art we've always needed because the mist was the mist was the first hard art we got, and it didn't pull punches. And I, I love it to this day, and a lot of people just hate it for that ending and it's just like that's what a Stephen King adaptation is supposed to be and my my standards are held high I know that if I don't come out of if I don't come out of it with a smile on my face or wanting to see it again then it didn't do what I wanted it to like, do like when I watched when I watched Jaws when I was six seven years old when Shit, I watched man. Jaws when I was like six seven years old I literally did not take a shower for like three years I would not take a bath I would not take a shower. Literally, like, I had to be forced into a bathtub to get clean. Because I was so terrified of being in a bathtub. or Because I always thought that Jaws, a big, giant, fucking, great white shark, would jump out of a faucet and fucking yep. eat me. This is what I expect is going to happen with this movie. That, I hope That so. people that grow up with this movie are going to be so terrified of all the shit that they see in this movie. Every time they walk by a storm drain. Exactly, that literally, like, they're going to be scared of that. Literally, seven, eight-year-old kids that just happen to see this movie because their parents are shitty. <laughs> 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 they're going to... I don't going know what's going to be happening. ...are going to be so terrified by the time they're, like, 16, 17 that they literally think that, like, that they, 
every time they see a big open fucking sewer grate or every time they see a sewer when they're walking down the street that there's something in there and it just wants to fucking terrorize the shit out of everybody. I don't think that's going to be happening as much. I think the most we're going to get are terrified like 13, 14 year olds. I don't think we're going to get anything less than that. And going back to a couple other episodes that, that we've had on the show... Um, I talked about, like, one of the first horror movies I've ever seen being The Thing, yeah. and it's just, like, even then, like, I watched that when I was, like, 9 or 10, and I know I watched Jaws before that, I had to have, um, because The Thing is so much more scary than Jaws is, at least on a visceral level. You think so? Um, absolutely. Do you really think so? On, like, a visceral, like, watching horrifying things happen level. I don't, I don't know if there's much thing scarier than open water. Open water is something that. Okay. okay. I mean, I guess, I guess, I get you're you're more of the paranoia fear. I am I'm more about yes. look at the horror yes. fear. I, there's there's a whole huge difference between this is what I'm looking at that is fucking scary. And this is what and, I'm not looking I at. I don't know what's there, <laughs> yeah. and I'm fucking exactly. scared. There's, there's, there's a, a big difference. Yes, there's a big difference. Um, I know I had to have watched both of them within the same year of yeah. each other, though. Yeah. Um, I do remember being scared of water after watching Jaws for a little while, and I still get that nagging. You know, I go scuba diving. I talked yeah. about it in 31. Uh, I've swam with sharks. I, I go into the ocean. I dive, and I every time I jump into the water, I get that nagging fear that, like, I might not come back out. Yeah. And that's just something that happens. And I remember with the thing, I had to have been nine or ten. I watched it, and I didn't want to go near dogs for a little bit. Specifically, specifically, not dogs. Like I, dogs I didn't know. Yeah. Whenever I went over to a friend's house and I didn't recognize the dog, or I didn't know the dog, um, I would get a little antsy. It's just the way that they pulled shit off in that movie, the way how grotesque things yeah. looked in that also, movie. Also, Kurt Russell being Kurt Russell. And Kurt Russell being <laughs> Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, so good in every single movie he has ever done, pretty oh, much. Snake Plissken. He might, he might be, at this point, I might consider Kurt Russell to be the most underrated actor. actor oh, I love time. Kurt Russell. Kurt is great. <laughs> he's not underrated. Yeah, we're, we're, just, we're, literally just, we're literally just destroying Kurt Russell movies out there where he's just fantastic in. Because I don't think it's possible. I grew up with I grew up with um, Escape from LA, Escape from New York, um, Big Trouble, Little China. Oh my god! Um, there's just a monster list. There's just a monster they, list. They, you know, people loved him so much they based Solid Snake off of him. They based sure. they based Haas Delgado after him. They, you know, so many people combined made Haas, and it's just like if if anyone was the most, it was like Ash from. Evil Dead combined with Snake Plissken. For all the Billy and Mandy fans out there, Hostel Gatto is one of the best horror tropes ever acknowledged, and it's a combination of Ash from Evil Dead and Snake Plissken. If you like, and if you like, if you like decent horror movies, decent horror movies, not something crazy, but go watch Bone Tomahawk with Kurt Russell. Watch Kurt Russell pulling off his wider character from Tombstone, combined with a horror movie, and watch Bone Tomahawk. I've never seen Bone Tomahawk. Have you never seen Bone Tomahawk? No. And you're telling me I need to watch it right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a horror movie. It is a horror movie. Bone Tomahawk. I've never even heard of it. Bone Tomahawk is literally Tombstone combined with The Descent. And it is fucking fantastic. I know both of those, so I can accept that. It is fucking fantastic. That sounds great. It is so good. Bone Tomahawk. 
Tomahawk. It's Bone Tomahawk combined with Such a shitty name. Bone Tomahawk? Bone Tomahawk. It's such, the descent combined good, with Tombstone. Such a good movie. If you've never seen that one, check out Bone Tomahawk. For all you listeners out there, nah. watch Bone Tomahawk with me. Check it out. Check it out. That is. I'm gonna now. That is a solid. I take your recommendations. I take your recommendations very highly. You and I have very similar views on a lot of things, and very similar. Uh, we we give respect to the same amount of things. Sure. Um, I've always taken references from you. Um, this this has been a lot of bullshit, and I apologize to the people who are coming into this episode trying to get stories out of us. That's just not going to happen, at least not today. Maybe another day with Scotch, where we'll get more stories in. But he has children. He has a wife. We just <laughs> wanted to sit here and drink and talk about shit, and luckily, you were here for most of it. So I just wanted to thank you guys for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion about Game of Thrones among uh, it and Stephen King oh talks. Goodness. How much stuff yeah. do we not talk about today? So much, so much <laughs> horror. So many horrifying yeah. things um, that the current masses are just so enveloped with. Like, it's very hard for me to get through a conversation without talking about it or Game of Thrones. It's just like those are two big things that are just blowing up right now. And you ain't human if you ain't acknowledging them. And I know a lot of people who think they deserve a fucking sticker or something for not watching Game of Thrones. And all, the only reaction they get out of me is like, well, you're a fucking idiot. Sure. If you're not watching. Why are you not watching the best show on television? Why are you not watching the best show that's <laughs> sure. free to watch sure. right now? Why are you not watching the best show on There are ways to watch it for exactly. free, people. And, you know... You have zero excuses, zero accountability. Um, Scutch, how do you feel about the episode? Is there anything you want to say before we sign out? I've had a good time today. Like, literally, uh, it's my first time sitting around with the captain and uh, sitting around talking. And I've listened to, I feel like I've listened to dozens and dozens of these shows now. And There's enough of them. I have. I've had a good time listening to all of them, and I hope you guys enjoy this show, and I hope we get to do it again, where we talk oh, about absolutely. what's going on in the future and stuff like that. I'm going to have to come see. back after it and see and, and get you in on the conversation. As far as, especially after Game of Thrones, I can't I can't imagine we talk about 20 minutes for Game of Thrones. I can't imagine that. Another 20 minutes about <laughs> Game of Thrones. So I can't imagine we're not going to talk about it again, so I've had a great time. Thanks, Captain. Oh, I, it, it's always great seeing you. I loved having you here. I loved having you on the show. You were very optimistic, enthusiastic about your involvement here, and uh, that's all I. That's all I ask. Dream of scary kids, guys. Dream of dream scary, scary, scary kids. Dream of scary kids. If we're gonna come out of this episode <laughs> with any message, it's be more scared of children. Yeah. Be more scared of if you have kids, be afraid of them. If you don't, be afraid of them. Like it's just out of everything. Um, you know, they don't understand the world yet. They don't understand good and evil. They don't understand right and wrong. Don't go to bed. Don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> such, a good, such a good message. To don't go to bed. Don't have kids.